Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got my friend Jeff Lester of Hunt Hard Outfitters based out of Arizona. We're going to be talking today about New Mexico. Jeff's been guiding in New Mexico for 20 plus years. Jeff, how you doing? Great, Jay. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I guess before we get into the ins and outs of the New Mexico applications, we've got a deadline uh, coming up March 18th. And I just want to know from your from your idea what or from your standpoint what kind of conditions you know are are applicants looking at you know going into what we know as the application season and what are the variables in front of us that would help guys make a good decision? Well, this year, um, you know, weather-wise, I think we're I think we're wetter than we were last year in 19 and and in last year going we had a really wet spring and we had a really good year because of it obviously arizona and new mexico were both really good last year uh especially compared to the year before and this year we're i think we're right on course to be right in line with last year um i'm i just recently made a trip over there to visit some ranchers and the you know all the north hillsides of all the peaks have you know really deep snow on them um even down low in some places on the north hillsides had you know eight to 12 inches of of snow uh on it so the high peaks i've heard you know over in the gila you know they've got upwards of 40 50 inches on on the mountain so i think it's going to be a really really good year again so i think we're the outlook for this year is is good when you talk about last year in new mexico the antler growth was was really good um, but we didn't have much monsoonal moisture uh, in July and August. Of course, you know, we had really good rain starting, I think, at the end of August and in September and October, but kind of in that, you know, really wet period, our normal monsoon period, there wasn't much. How did that affect the rut in your mind over there? Uh, the rut was... Um, I thought the rut was pretty good. In most of the units we were hunting, it was pretty solid. In the desert-type units, um, 13, 17, um, 12 over there in some of that country, uh, you know, we saw that be a little more spotty. Uh, the mountainous units, you know, with the big timber and stuff, you know, over in the Gila and stuff, was seemed like everything there was pretty good. Um, you know, we also saw in some of those those more arid units uh the back ends of the elk that did get affected a little bit because they came they came into the spring and into the summer solid and then it did dry up pretty hard and a lot of the bulls didn't quite finish out that great i mean it just depended on you know specifically where that animal was you know getting his feed and everything but we did see the back ends in some of those drier units um be affected you know over in the gila everything was you know top notch you know we talk about horn growth a lot of times with our moisture and that doesn't necessarily mean that everything blew up way above and beyond what it should be it was just this is what it should be on a normal year when you know everything is aligned and the moisture is good so uh that's what we saw across the board you know 85 percent of what we were hunting was solid last year as well as this eastern side of Arizona that we hunt in one and twenty seven and and three a three c and stuff I mean all this stuff was pretty good you know last year, so we're expecting this like I said to be good again with that being said, you know you you're thinking it's wetter this year than it was last, and you know we came off a horrible drought in two thousand eighteen um what's your thought of two years in a row elk you know being able to have two good solid uh moisture years in a row as far as antler growth i mean do you think you think there's no excuse for this season for the antlers to be as big as they possibly will be? Um, I think it will, we'll, we'll see. I'm not going to say an increase. Um, obviously, age class has a huge part to play with that. And when you're talking the two states, um, New Mexico, you know, I would say has a lower age class than most of Arizona just due to tag numbers. Um, you know, most of New Mexico is a 300 to 320 upper end bull hunt with you know that occasional bull over 330 to 350 in being in specific units i mean all the units over there have those kind of bulls um but 
as you go up in size, the percentage drops. Um, and when you have like a bad year, like where the monsoon wasn't really, you know, super hot last year, the grass came on kind of late. So it did give them something going into winter, but as they move on to the browse and stuff, I mean, certain places had, you know, a lot better grass than others. That is, that is correct. So you just have to play that off, you know, see how things go this year off of what's on the ground right now, you know, and most of the stuff over there from what I noticed this year was, you know, it had decent feed going into winter. Um, a couple of areas were pretty, pretty sparse, but most of it was pretty good. So um, I, I think that the antler growth is, you know, I don't think there's any reason for it not to be pretty solid this year. Um, it should be fine. And, you know, areas in, you know, especially in Arizona on this side of the state, in the late hunts, we had such a giant, you know, snowstorm before that late hunt that piles of tags were uh, turned back in. And I don't think a lot of those tags got filled reissued because people turned them in right up to the day of the hunt and a lot of those bulls i think a lot of bulls lived in you know one in 27 compared to you know on a normal year so i think this year those units you know might pump out some you know some solid solid bulls just due to bulls getting another you know year of age on them so in new mexico your your outfit is hunt hard outfitters and you've been over there for 20 years um, you've got several aspects of the way you hunt over there. You've got your landowner tags where you have connections with landowners um, and, and people can call you directly and, and just buy an elk hunt. They don't have to put in for the draw. You've got your outfitter pool, which people can apply with you and other outfitters out there. And then you just have uh, you know, the resident pool and then the non-resident pool uh, in the non-outfitted pool. Um, talk a little bit about First, your landowner tag program and, and your guaranteed hunts, if you will, and then kind of talk about uh, New Mexico's structure. And then we've obviously got some new little goofy, seems goofy changes. Um, although it seems like anytime there's ever a change, it's, you know, goofy is a good word for it if you're not used to it. But let's talk about some of the changes, how it affects non-residents. Um, but first, talk about your landowner stuff. Okay, so landowner tags in the state of New Mexico um are landowner tags that are allocated to uh it's basically on elk usage so let's use an example say a guy's got a thousand acres and he they do a, a study or see how many elk are coming in and using his land so the game and fish is going to uh, give that landowner x amount of tags as in compensation for what the elk are maybe using on his property so he may get one tag he may get two um, if he had 5,000 acres, he could get three, he could get five. It just depends um, on what the Game and Fish gives that specific landowner. That landowner then can take that tag, even though it's called a landowner tag, that tag can be used private only or unit-wide. If it's unit-wide, he is, by law, is supposed to open his land up to the public. So if he's got 5,000 acres and he makes his tags unit wide if i buy those tags i can then hunt all of the national forest blm and public in that unit and his ranch his private land but anyone else can hunt his private land as well now if he has say forty thousand acres and he makes those tags ranch only now that tag is only good for that private land it cannot be hunted off of that private land so we only deal in unit-wide private land tags. Basically, if you are using ranch-only landowner tags, you're basically leasing the ranch. If you bought 10 tags on, say, 15,000 acres, and you made those ranch-only, you're, in essence, leasing that ranch to hunt that private. And we don't deal with any of that because we, we have our own opinions about the private land in New Mexico. So... Um, in my opinion, a lot of the ranches are overpopulated, meaning they give too many tags for the amount of private that somebody has. And, you know, an outfitter has to use those tags to pay for his lease. And so sometimes that can be a bad deal, in my opinion. Um, obviously, there's some ranches, you know, over on the eastern side of the state or something that are huge, 40,000, 50,000 acres. Now, that might be a little different in a, in a ranch of that size. Um, 
So the tags that we buy are unit-wide tags. We take that tag, we sell that to a person. This year he can book a spot and hunt on that landowner tag. He, and then the hunt cost is on top of that as well as the license and, and stamps and everything that goes through the state. Um, you still have to purchase all of that. And then that money, you know, has nothing really to do with our outfit. We pay that to the rancher uh, for the allocation of the tag. And getting into the 10% versus 6%, so in New Mexico, there's an outfitted sponsored draw. So if there's 100 tags, 16 of that 100 are going to go to non-resident hunters. 6% are going to go to non-residents that apply on their own or, or through the 6% pool. And 10% are going to go into the outfitter-sponsored pool. To be eligible for the 10%, you have to be contracted with a New Mexico outfitter and, you know, have a contract signed with them to put in to that pool. And that, you know, on some hunts, it doubles your odds. And on some hunts, it might be less than the 6%. It just depends. That's why it's important to... You know, there's all kinds of ways you can look up the percentages of what hunt you're looking at to try to draw, you know, if it's better to put in through the outfitted pool or not. Um, like I said, most of the hunts, it benefits putting in with an outfitter if you're, you know, if you're looking to get, you know, 1% or 2% better odds at drawing a tag. Some of it 3 or 4 some of it's double. It just depends. And then what's this goofy change that they've got going? It seems like it affects... Um, applicants that are putting, you know, three, four guys on an application, and it seems like it's affecting those low tag number units uh, more than, you know, the, the big tag number units. Talk a little bit about that. Okay, so for 2020, um, the adjustment that's made, been made to the breakdown between non-residents and residents, um, it's kind of confusing unless you're just looking at a table it shows exactly what it is, but let's just use an example. Um, so the graph that I'm using here, you know, so if one person is on the application, so an individual is putting in for a tag, and there's seven, there has to be seven tags available for that hunt for that individual to draw in that hunt. If there's two people on the application, there has to be 19 people on, I mean, 19 tags available for the two to draw. So if you had three people on the application and there's 19 tags available, basically you're not going to be eligible to draw that tag is the way I understand it. Now, don't take anything I'm saying as this is kind of confusing and I've studied it a little bit just to see, make sure I'm kind of getting this correct. But that's the way I understand it. And then, you know, three people on an application, there'd have to be 25. So really the hunts that it's going to really affect are – the low number antelope hunts, um, some of the low number, you know, premium deer hunts. Uh, I don't think there's any elk that, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying there's any, but there might be an elk hunt here or there that it, that it makes a difference on. Um, but any low, low tag number hunts, basically, you know, for an antelope hunt, say there's 10 tags available for an antelope hunt, then you basically need to put in one single applicant on the application, you can't put two because you won't be eligible to draw the tag. Um, Basically, it's not going to round up. In the old yeah. days, it rounded up. So if there was 10 tags and the ninth name out of the hat was this non-resident and he had, I mean, there was 10 tags, they, they would give 11 tags for that hunt, but they're not doing that anymore. It will not I be rounded the, up. The moral of the story is on those lo low tag um, allocation hunts, just make sure that you either apply by yourself or apply with just one other person. Watch those, you know, four people on an app situation on those low tag number, even three on an app. Um, it's just something Correct. to watch out for. Um, and on the minimum quota needed for the 6%, it's even going to be higher. you got to remember that. So an individual putting in, it's a less percentage. So there, there would have to be 13 tags available in the hunt for a guy to draw in the 6% pool and vice versa. It's going to go up, you know, according to the percentage given. So, 
The reality, it sounds like me, is uh, you had said before we got on the podcast that, uh, you know, there's definitely some resident um, coalition or, or resident hunters that are kind of not, they don't like the non-resident hunter as much and they want more opportunity for the resident hunter. And it sounds like their voice has um, bended a few ears and made, you know, made these changes, right? I mean, there's, there has to be someone that's, that's pushing for this. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I kind of see it. I mean, they're, they're, the residents are wanting, you know, more tags given to the resident, you know, the residents of New Mexico, which, you know, it's hard not to argue that sometimes people see that. I mean, we've seen that, that same type of deal happen here in Arizona with a few lawsuits and different things. I mean, people, you know, they feel like, you know, we're the residents of this state and we deserve more of the tags. You know, New Mexico does have a system that caters to business and outfitters and different things as well because of the 10% pool. Um, you know, and there's obviously going to be opinions one way or the other on that, how people, you know, decipher, you know, how that system works and, you know, there's going to be an opinion, you know, good and bad on both sides. And, and, you know, I hear it from time to time and, and see it. And, you know, I have quite a few friends in New Mexico and, you know, they've, some of them have voiced that before and, and, you know, some run businesses over there and see and understand the business side of it as well. So if you're talking about the units, kind of your bread and butter units, um, a lot of those units are the six teams, right? I mean, the 16 a, B, C, D. Um, yeah, the 16 units are are primarily your your go-to units in the state of New Mexico. Um, like we talked earlier, uh, you know, most of the western side of the state, over to the Arizona border, you have your 15, your 23 that border the state, and 12. So underneath I-40, you have Unit 12, and then you come down, you have Unit 15 and Unit 23. Um, and then as you work your way uh, east into Mexico, you start getting into your other units like 13, 17, um, all your 16 units. And that area primarily is the bulk of the I guess, the premier elk hunting in New Mexico. Not that there's not some solid elk hunting in northern New Mexico. I'm not taking anything away from that. But what we hunt, what Hunt Hard Outfitters hunts, that's kind of our bread and butter on, you know, the areas that we hunt. Um, the 16 units obviously are your toughest units to draw due to um, not only tag, I mean, tag numbers in certain units are lower because they're maybe managed a little better and they're popular and you know they're probably the only units in the state that are ranked at you know that 330 340 plus bull at killing that kind of bull not that all the other units don't have those kind of bulls it's just the higher percentage of those bulls are killed in more of those units and they are a difficult draw the the draw odds for most of the 16 units are 2 to 3% so they are tough draw odds. So one of the things that's interesting about New Mexico as we go through all these different states is New Mexico doesn't have a bonus point system or a preference point system. It's basically you just put in and, and you know, everybody goes into the draw every year with as good a chance as they had the following year. Is that correct? I mean, um, Talk a little bit about your thoughts on the way that they do things and being an opportunity state as far as, uh, you know, you don't, it's not required to have preference points or bonus points that you can just apply every year and, and try and get a tag. Okay, so you're, you're correct. Uh, New Mexico is not a point-holding state. They don't, you don't accumulate points such as Arizona. Um, so if a guy calls and he, he's, you know, he wants to swing for the fence and he wants to just put in for the best of the best. You know, we can apply him in that first, second, or third choice in two or three percent draw odds for all three choices. And his odds at drawing those tags are as good as anyone else's. 
everybody is getting thrown in the same hat when it comes to drawing those tags. Now, of course, non-resident outfitter pull, 10%. Resident pull is, you know, 84%. Um, but you're not, you're not being penalized for not applying year to year. And that, that does make a big difference because, you know, I have guys in Arizona that, you know, they're going to obviously put in for points maybe on a specific year. Where New Mexico, if a guy says, I have a, pl a hunt planned in Alaska this year over archery season, he's an archery hunter. I say, okay, well, you're just not going to put in for New Mexico that year. Right, and he's not because penalized it, for that. Yeah, he's not penalized for that. He just, he just steps out a year. Right. You know, every year in my pool, I have two big old stacks of, oh, these guys are out of the draw this year because they got other plans. So, you know, where Arizona, everybody has to put in. Whether you're right. putting in for points only, they're going to get that license fee out of you no matter what. You, you want, that's why I tell guys, in Arizona, you're in it for the long haul. You've got to be consistent with putting in. Make sure you don't miss dates because it hurts you if you miss. Where in New Mexico... If you opt out one year, then it doesn't hurt you. You come right back the next year, and you're right back in the draw uh, bidding for the tags like everybody else. The advantage, I mean, there are some advantages to that I see because obviously people feel that, you know, it's a little more fair where everybody is just the luck of the draw deal. The problem is, is I know, you know, I have a hunt, one hunter that has drawn six out of ten years. And then I have other guys that have been in the system 10 years and never had a tag. You know, never been able to draw a tag. And so, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's good and it's, it's bad. I mean, because yeah. I guess if you're a lucky, if, you, if you're lucky, um, then that's good, you know. Um, some of the, the hunts that that may make, a, you know, effect, like there is hunts that if, you, if you're really into drawing tags, there's hunts in New Mexico if you research it, that have fairly good draws for non-resident hunters. Now, those hunts might not be on everyone's radar. I, I myself have killed a number. I've killed more bulls in the state of New Mexico as a non-resident than I have as a resident in Arizona. But I've also put in for hunts that are not very popular. Yeah. And went over and hunted archery when most guys don't want to be in the woods. You know, in that first season... I've killed a lot of bulls myself, and it's in high draw odd units, and you know that are might be three fifteen to three twenty five kind of bulls, um, but it was just you know so I could get in the woods and hunt myself, you know. I want to break down a couple of the units that you hunt before we do that. I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank Go Hunt Insider. Remind you guys that it's application season. If you want to. Become a Go Hunt Insider member, which I highly recommend you do. Uh, go to GoHunt.com forward slash J Scott. You sign up. That's going to get you a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card just for signing up. Then you'll have all the access to all the different states, all the different animals, different harvest statistics, draws, um, strategy uh, applications or uh, application strategies and all the things that they do over there at Go Hunt, I strongly suggest you check them out, gohunt.com forward slash Scott. I also want to thank Go Hunt. Uh, Cody Nelson, my friend of 20-plus years, is the optics manager. If you guys are looking to purchase any optics, whether it be binos, uh, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, tripods, anything to do with glassing, anything to do with optics, give Cody a call. 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also text him or call him on his cell phone, 602-399-3699. I appreciate Cody and all the hard work that he does uh, with cu uh, customers, and I get messages every day from the great uh, customer service that he gives to the J. Scott Outdoors listeners, so make sure you mention J. Scott. I uh, appreciate that, guys. Also, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Kuyu is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. Uh, you can go to KUIU.com. That's KUIU.com uh, to order. They're a direct-to-consumer uh, company. Uh, and I want to thank Kuyu. I also want to thank PhoneScope. Use the JScott20 promo code 
at phonescope.com. That's going to get you a 10% discount. And then onxmaps.com. I use Onyx every day for hunting, fishing, real estate. It's got great private public land overlay. It's got a great aerial map, topo map. Uh, you can um, import, export all your uh, data uh, waypoints to Google Earth and, and from Google Earth on to Onyx. Uh, they also have a desktop version. I use the mobile app version on my phone mostly. Uh, it's a great app. Go to onyxmaps.com. Use the jscott20 promo code. You're going to save 20%. Jeff, I want to talk about specifically um, just a couple of these units. And I want to start with 16A. Um, and I want to go through kind of your top five units that you guys hunt primarily. And what I want on this is just kind of a, a general overview of the unit, uh, the type of terrain, type of bulls that guys will be looking at. And it, when we're talking about it, if it happens to be, you know, the best or one of the best or, you know, out of the five, maybe one of the one, of, it's still good, but maybe there's, you know, it's at the bottom of the five. Kind of rank them, if you will, as we go through them. We'll start with 16A. Okay, so out of the units that we hunt, uh, 16A is probably one of our top. It's probably our top unit. Um, we're going to throw. We're going to talk about 16D at the same time. So D is in dog, and 16A is in apple. Uh, both are comparable in quality, and. D is going to be, there's a lot less tags in D in the archery and rifle hunt. So the, the tag numbers being less, of course, has tougher draw odds. Um, but they're both comparable as in the quality of elk. They border one another. Um, so they're basically the same, you know, type of terrain and unit. Uh, 16A, in my opinion, I like it a little better just due to it has more tag numbers so you're able to have a little bit better draw odds in the unit um, than 16D. Uh, but, you know, there's by no means D is any worse. I mean, they're both great hunts. Those are two of the top units in the state. Um, both have, you know, super tough draw odds to draw. Um, those are the units in the state that you're looking at your 330, 340 upper end average. And they're probably uh, only... The, the couple of units that have that higher average than, you know, most of the other units. Um, one over the other, like I said, I mean, I would, you know, if, if you can draw either of those tags, those are, those are both excellent hunts. Um, but that is definitely swinging for the fence because of the such, such low draw odds in those hunts. Now, something to remember also as we're talking about this, um, New Mexico has moved all of their season dates a week back. So that is something to remember. Um, the first gun season, other than mobility impaired in youth, which, uh, you know, are, have also been moved a week back. So 17th, the 17th is the start day of the first gun season in the 16 units, as well as 15, 13, everything. So the 17th, um, typically that has started around the, uh, the 13th, but now the 17th is the start day of the first gun season, and the 24th will be the start day of the second gun season in New Mexico. So that's actually going to move it. If you were getting any rutting on those correct at all, it's going to kind of move it completely out of the rut, wouldn't you say? Correct. So it's actually going to make those rifle hunts worse. Correct. So this will be the first year that that's been that late ever. And the mobility impaired hunt, um, I don't have my book in front of me, but I want to say it's, I think the 11th is when it starts. So it goes, you know, you have a five-day season, you have two days off, a five-day season, two days off, a five-day season. That's how October works. And I believe the start date is 11th on the mobility impaired or youth, and then the, the a gun season starts after that, which the mobility impaired and youth are really low draw. I mean, there's only 30 tags in most of those hunts. But, yes, it's taking it out of the rut. They've pushed all the hunts back. Even that youth hunt is going to be much different hunt because it usually starts around the 4th or 5th, and you could always catch the tail end of that rut. And now with it starting on the 11th, um, it's going to be a different hunt. It's those bigger bulls. That is the, you know, I always say the 7th 
to the twelfth right in there. I mean, that is when those those bigger bulls are pulling off those cows daily and and leaving, and the the rut really winds down fast. One you thing know, I'm thinking about that is, you know, looking forward from a management standpoint and from a quality standpoint, I, I'm going to bet that in a couple of years there's a good chance that you'll see an actual rise in age class because those bigger bulls, like you say, as soon as they pull off, they almost vanish. They just, like, you can't even find them. It's going to make yeah, them tougher, but I think it could it could save some bigger bulls' lives. No, I really think it's going to. Um, just because of the, I'm, I'm going to say, the difficulty of finding those bulls. In those youth hunts, you know, you always had a really solid bull maybe hanging out still because they've, they've had this three-week um, lull with nobody hunting them. And they've just been out there hanging out with the cows. Now, now you still might see some of that because, you know, if, if there's been no pressure, those bulls might not have any reason to leave the cows. Um, but you are going to see bulls pulling off, and I agree with you, Jay. It's You're going to see... There's going to be some bulls that live because of that. Now, when it comes to the 17th date, typically those bulls were starting to pull off anyway, and you had very few bulls that were with the cows, big bulls, and guys had to go in there and hunt them like they did anyway. So there's going to be, I don't think that hunt's going to change dramatically. Uh, but the, the, that early hunt definitely going to be a big difference i think just in finding size there's going to be some small bulls with those cows that are going to you know take the bullet versus some of the bigger bulls that may have been there the week before when you compare 16a and 16d as far as terrain and vegetation is one or the other um rougher or you know more ponderosa or more juniper talk about that just a little bit um they are both uh, one and the same. Um, you know, uh, gosh, D probably has a little more road access. I mean, obviously, it's you know, it's it's closer to the you know what you know a main highway, and there's many you know forest roads that come off of that, and it's obviously circled by a uh, you know main forest roads. Where so is 16A, but 16A probably has a little bit more country in it that is roadless, um, especially the, the uh, west side of it. Um, there's some really rough, deep, nasty canyons that go from the low, low country all the way up to the high country. Um, both units have multiple burns in them. Um, you know, the Buzzard Fire two, years, two, two or three years ago, whatever, you know, burned a big section of 16D as well. And A, you know, and the Gila, you know, the Gila fires and different fires they've had in the so a lot of burns in both units, um, and a lot of thick timbered country, pinon and juniper lower, and as you get up in the higher country, you get into the ponderosa, the spruce, and pine and stuff, but lots of country burned in both units. Those are the I've only been, units uh, in New Mexico that you can compare, you know, you can compare those units to the Arizona, like Unit 1, Unit 27, same kind of terrain. Okay. Let's dive into B, you know, B and C. We don't do a ton in C. Um, never been one of my favorite units. Not saying that it doesn't have solid hunting in certain parts of it. It's just never been on my radar due to a couple of factors and there's a couple of big ranches in there and gives some access issues in a couple of places. Just not a super, super fan of the unit. Um, doesn't mean that there's not outfitters that kill solid big bulls in C. It's just not one that we, the only hunt we even lean on in C is maybe the youth hunt. But other than that, we don't hunt the unit very often. So B, um, B is uh, a unit that it's obviously all wilderness. Um, we've started hunting it more and more the last few years. It's uh, B is one of those units you have to take with a grain of salt. It's uh, it's got some big bulls in it. It's very tough to hunt. It's not a hunt for everybody. It's if 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 somebody just thinks they're gonna, hey, I'm gonna drop my name in the hat for B and I'm gonna go in there and kill a huge bull. You got another thing coming. 
because it's it is not a unit that is um, for everyone. It's very tough. It's steep. <clears throat> it's got lots of. It's a huge, huge country. Um, elk are pockety in the unit. The water is pockety. Uh, you know the the. It's combined with two units, of course, 16B and 22, and it 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 has just. Uh, you know, like I said, I mean, we backpack it a lot and hunt it. Um, you know, we use horses, of course, to get our, our game in and out. I mean, our camps in and our game out. And then when we're in there on foot, I mean, you've you got to be able to cover the ground. And it's it's a tougher hunt. Um, you know, last year I I hunted in there on, a, on the early hunt, killed two really nice bulls in there. Um, but I think we, we probably did over 40 miles in, in three or four days on foot uh, with 70-pound packs on our backs. And so that's not for everyone. Pretty hardcore uh, hunting. Um, you know, we pack a lot of water in with horses prior to the hunt. And, you know, you're living on Mountain House, uh, you know, and we, you know, we don't take a pile of hunters in there. We just... Uh, like I said, it, you, it's, a, it's a hunt that you better be prepared and know what you're in for before you go into that unit and hunt. Um, a lot of outfitters don't like the unit due to what we're talking about. Um, and with the hunts being moved back, uh, we're cutting, you know, we might cut a hunter. Uh, we're looking at that unit a lot different now because of, of the way the season dates have changed. So... Um, you know, people can call us and talk to us about the unit, but it's not, um, you know, it, it's one you really have to, to study and understand before you, you know, you dive into it. Because if there's a unit in New Mexico that can kick your butt, that's it. That's the one, huh? That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is the one. I mean, it had a giant bull killed in it last year. Um, you know, one of the biggest bulls that probably came out of New Mexico came out of there. And, you know, that the country that bull was killed in is, is no joke. I mean, I don't even know if there is, there's a couple of, maybe, maybe 27 can be compared to it, but I would say B is even above and beyond that when it comes to the remoteness of getting in and getting deep in that unit is no joke. I mean, it's, it's for real. And down in the country we hunt, I would say there's really nothing that compares to getting in and getting away like you can and be. And because of that, it's, like I said, it's not for everyone. Talk a little bit about the first archery season and the second archery season and the pros and cons of each. Okay, first and second. So you got first through the 14th of September. That's first archery season. And then you got the 10th through the 24th, I mean the uh, 15th, sorry, 15th through the 24th, second archery season. So you got a 14-day season and a 10-day season. The first, September 1st through the 14th, obviously, it, historically, that is not prime rut, you know, a time to be in the woods hunting rutting bulls. On that hunt, we prefer to hunt the second half of the 14 days. I'm not saying we won't book hunters on the 1st through the 7th, but we're just not a fan of that date. If you're expecting to come in and hunt rutting bulls, it's just probably not going to happen. I mean, you may hear one here and one there, but the bulls are coming in looking for cows. Um, they might be coming from their, you know, where they're summering and they're traveling into where they're going to rut. Um, now, the second part of that hunt can be a good hunt. Um, never, I would never look shy away from that hunt. If you're a super experienced archery hunter, you can glass. And that is a time when some of the bulls are pretty callable if you know how to call <laughs> and, and know what situation presents itself. I mean, we, we've run a pretty high success rate on that first hunt. Um, but it's the same thing. It's when you even book with an outfitter, um, you know, a lot of guys set water uh, during that time. I'm not a big fan of water. I'm not saying we don't set water. I just don't really like hunting water. 
Um, so sometimes if we have an older client that is not as mobile as someone else, that you know that's the hunt we might put him in for because it's not as much you know action in that hunt. So it's more you know he might sit more in that hunt. Um, in the second hunt, obviously the rut comes on strong, um, and that's historically you know the best time to be in the woods you know hunting you know the rut. Uh, you know, me, myself, I've killed a lot of bulls on the first through the 14th hunt um, because, you know, I, I, I tend to like that hunt due to a couple of reasons. Just, you know, bulls, bulls aren't not with the cows yet, and sometimes they're, they're a little bit, they're callable, and you can get in there and they're not, they don't have 10 cows with them, and they're just, they're loners looking and, um, you know, it gives some pretty good spot and stock opportunities in that hunt. Um, but I've also got completely schooled on that hunt. And, you know, I had the tag two years ago in the bad drought year in the first season. And I didn't put my release on in 14 days. I mean, I, it was, first off, the antler growth was awful, and I saw nothing I wanted to shoot. And the, the rut was non-existent. I mean, it just, I think I heard like eight bugles in, in 10 days of being in the, in the backcountry. Wow. It was rough. So I was pretty much spotting and stalking, and I just, I would see upwards 15, 20 bulls a day and never saw a bull I would even stick an arrow in. So I just was like, it was a tough hunt. Toughest one I'd ever been on personally for myself. Any other things out there that we need to cover as far as uh, guided hunts that you do in New Mexico? I mean, I know there's a lot of different animals and, and such, but anything that you want to cover? Um, you know, antelope, uh, Barbary sheep, bighorns, any of that stuff, or you primarily focus on elk? We primarily, I mean, people know us for elk um, and deer. Our deer, we cut back a few years ago on our deer. We've ramped up our deer. Uh, we're moving back into some a couple of other units that we hunt. Uh, they can call us and discuss that. Um, there's been some season changes with deer, which I think are going to make a couple of the deer hunts we hunted in the past better. Um, it might take a few years for some of that to come around, but, I mean, we used to take quite a few deer hunters, and then we, we started cutting way back. Um, we're going to move back into the Kayabab in Arizona and do some more. We used to hunt the Kayabab pretty heavy. We're going to start moving back into the Kayabab and hunting that again due to, you know, some management that's gone on there, which Kaibab's doing really good right now. Um, and, of course, you know, your exotics in New Mexico, your, your Barbary sheep hunts, your Oryx, Ibex, different things like that. I mean, those are always, a lot of people like to put in for those, and those hunts, you know, have high success rates. Um, you know, the sheep, we put in a number of sheep hunters. Some of, there's other outfitters in New Mexico that are kind of known for sheep. Uh, you know, which apply probably the bulk of the sheep hunters. We do put in a number of sheep hunters every year. And if you're interested in a sheep tag, a desert or a rocky, you should definitely be looking at New Mexico because, you know, without having a point system, you're just as lucky as anyone else to draw that tag. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's definitely a state that you could hit the lottery and win, you know, win a sheep tag you got to be putting in. Um, they obviously hold your money, and, you know, it's $3,100 $3, to put in. And, but it, it, it's a state that, you know, you don't have to have points. Where Arizona, you're not even going to hardly be, you know, your odds of drawing a sheep tag in Arizona without, you know, max points is pretty tough. Right. And New Mexico is just not that way. So you should really be leaning towards New Mexico and at least trying to, you know, see if you can draw one of those tags. Um, you know, when you talk about deer, New Mexico, uh, it has its couple of premier deer units, and those deer units have been kind of hammered on. I mean, there's still great bucks in those units. Uh, there's big deer in lots of other units. You know, the Gila is not known for, you know, being its primarily elk. There are big deer here and there. It's, uh, you know, so if you're looking for a deer hunt, it's not something you're going to say, oh, I'm going to go and see and pass up multiple 160s to kill a 180. But 180, 190 kind of bucks live in every unit in the state. Um, they're here and there. And, 
you know, if a guy scouts or goes with an outfitter that has a specific buck found, I mean, there's there's some options for deer, but always go into deer in New Mexico, you know, with with the opportunity that there is big deer in New Mexico in spots. Um, the northern part of the state has primarily the better deer hunting, and uh, your units such as 2B, 2A, 2C, 5B, those units up north are kind of historically known for the, you know, that Rio Arriba County and different things. Those are known for the, you know, the better deer hunting. But those, some of those hunts have higher tag numbers in them, and, uh, you know, they've been banged up. But they're still good deer hunts considering, you know, deer hunting in the west. Um, you know, there's also, we've opened up a couple of new hunts. We have a new coos deer hunt we're looking at, um, a couple of different things and a couple of units. Uh, obviously, antelope um, is always a popular one to put in for, pretty tough. And with the changes they made last year, you know, we're, we're going to see where the antelope goes here in the next couple of years. Um, last year, we killed a couple of really solid bucks in New Mexico. Um, you know, the draw's tough. But, you know, right now there's still some really good bucks to be killed over there. But the way the new system works, um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with antelope in New Mexico. Uh, but, you know, something else to know is New Mexico's uh, license, you, you have to buy your license and habitat stamp just like you do in Arizona. That's another, you know, something to know um, where you used to be able to click a box and get it refunded. So when you when you put in for your application this year, uh, they're they're a money holding state. So say you put in for five hunts and your bill totals six thousand five hundred dollars, they're going to hold that money, and then when they put the money back on your card, they will keep thirteen dollars per species for your application fee, and the license fee of sixty five dollars is also non refundable. So and that's something to Jeff, can you buy the license? Do you have to buy it ahead of time or in the application process on the computer? Can you go ahead and buy the license at the time when you apply? No, you can. That's one thing. They have a really nice licensing system. I wish Arizona would take notice. <laughs> you can get in there and you can punch in all your information. You can punch in all your information. You can make your hunt choices, your hunt selections, and you put it in your shopping cart. You can go through there and do all your shopping buying everything, and then you can go check out. And that is really an awesome deal where you know how big a pain in the butt Arizona is really difficult because you have to punch in that information specifically for every person, every hunt, every little thing. You have to go back and re-enter all of that, and it's it, it really time-consuming. And New Mexico is really streamlined, um, has a really good system for you know, having that shopping cart, you go in there and make all your choices, bighorn, sheep, elk, deer, everything, buy your license, boom, and it's it's all done at, you know, one transaction. Awesome. Now, that awesome. is a good question because um, we haven't actually, we're, we're getting ready to start our application process. I don't think you have to buy that license ahead of time. Um, but don't quote me on that because now that you have to do that, I don't think you have to purchase it first, but if you do, I mean, you know, it'll tell you. It, it won't let you go forward. The, the, the system won't let you move forward without, uh, you know, if you don't have something correct, it won't let you push forward in the system. Right. So Arizona's going to be hitting cards soon. Are you uh, Are you expecting anything? Yeah, I mean, we, we've got, you know, this year we had quite a few guys that, you know, had the points to draw specific hunts. Um, you know, it's funny, you know, we talked about how long I've been doing this, and 20 years is, you know, I started my own business in 99, and when I pushed the shows really hard when I was younger, obviously that was, you know, 20, you know, 15, 20 years, different things. So I have a lot of guys that are maturing in their points now. <laughs> and it's funny, it's taken this long. I mean, I literally have had guys in the system for that long. And, you know, they've become, you know, what's crazy is some of these guys I met when they were 40 and they're 60 now. <laughs> yeah. And now, and they're finally going to draw a tag in Arizona. And it's, 
you know, and I have to break the news to them that maybe the unit we were, you know, all amped up about is not the same unit and the hunt's not the same hunt. And, you know, I got guys that were going to hopefully draw, you know, with point creep, you know, people are talking about point creep in Arizona and it's every year. Some of that changes depending on how the system works. Um, so it'll be interesting. Last year I put guys in for hunts. I thought they would draw and they didn't draw and I drew some guys in hunts I didn't think they would draw. I mean, it's kind of a Arizona's, I don't know, sometimes uh, interesting the way the system works is kind of interesting, you know. So, um, you know, things have changed. You know, one, right now, not on a lot of people's radar. Doesn't get a lot, hasn't got a lot of hype. You know, five years ago, they were knocking down 400-inch bulls in Unit 1, and they really have uh you know they cut a lot of tags out of one in 27 this year um you know some say it's not enough some say it's it'll help yeah i think anything helps um but you know right now you know one may be a little easier to draw for somebody because it just didn't get a lot of hype you know most of the people haven't even ranked ranked unit one in the top five and it's always been in the top five and this year it's you know, it's got a lot of bad press. People understand how it's, things have kind of leaned different ways. Um, so we'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, we expect to, you know, fill up our, our hunts in those in these units. Um, you know, we're hunting a couple of other units in the Me- – I mean, in Arizona as well, we've moved into a couple other units uh, that we've, we've tried out uh, here in the last couple of years and had some pretty good success. Um, have a little bit easier draw odds. And some of those units have, you know, got some publicity. I mean, you know, people have, have uh, you know, they've got, you know, a lot of people have heard about different units that maybe were sleepers on the back end. And and it'll be funny to see some of those units jump. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a couple of units that we thought we were, you know, you think you're the only guy that knows something, but you're not the only guy that knows something. Sure. It's never that way, and uh, especially with today with social media, with the mapping systems that people have, um, and with the availability of information, things are just different now than they were 10 years ago. And in my, you know, in my opinion, it's kind of hurt hunting in a lot of ways where before you had to get out and you had to do a lot of work and effort on the back end to really be successful you really don't have to do as much as you used to have to do. And, uh, you know, with trail cams and with everything that's out here, the technology in the hunting industry, you know, obviously this is my opinion. Um, you know, it's like I hunted the strip this year for the first time. I went on the strip and hunted with one of my clients and I was pretty shocked. I had heard stories, but I was pretty shocked at what it really was. And it, really put a bad taste in my mouth for the hunting side of hunting. And it was just, uh, it was, it was, I don't even know how to explain it. It was, um, <laughs> it was, uh, I was shocked. I was a just rodeo, shocked at a rat how you don't have to be, you know, back in the day, you know, you look back at tracking and glassing and hunting and I went up there with kind of this idea, you know, the strip. Oh, yeah, we're going to, this is going to be awesome, and this, and this, and this. And I got up there, and we saw a lot of big deer, um, you know, but I'll just use one example. So there was one area that had multiple big deer hitting a dirt tank. And out of the four big monster deer that were hitting this dirt tank, I believe three of them got killed. And we kind of heard through the grapevine about one of the big bucks so we went to hunt there and we actually saw the buck a hunter i mean we can't guarantee that it was the buck that we were actually looking for but we we got a glimpse of a big monster deer very close to him but i wasn't with my hunter at the time i was probably 30 yards away by the time he got my attention and we got to looking uh he had moved into some thick country and he was headed towards the water well, it was right at dark, and the next morning, that deer either got shined that night or he hit the water. We knew he hit the water. We were told he hit the water. 
the next day there was over 50 people hunting that buck. And I climbed on the knob in the, in the early light, and I couldn't even glass the valley. There was so much dust in the valley that I couldn't even see into the trees because there were so many trucks running around looking for this one deer. And he was a 240-type deer, and I just climbed back down. We went to the truck, and I didn't even, you know, I was just kind of like, I threw my hands in the air. I mean, here I am up there with a, my hunter. And, you know, another time I was hunting another spot, and, you know, uh, one of my buddies had uh, told me that night when we got back to the truck, he said, I, I, I saw 18 people glassing you. He says, you were right down in the mix, and there was a big deer. We were, you know, he was bedded at dark, and we found out that there was 21 people helping that one hunter. Now, whether they were guiding or spotting or what, but that was the, you know, it's kind of a, it was kind of shocking. I, I knew it was bad, but I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah, it's, and so, it's something for sure. It's, you I've know, it's kind of like. times, and it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, and I mean, these big deer get killed. I'm going to, you know, if they ever do anything with this trail cam deal, I kind of look at it like that's the steroid era of baseball in the hunting <laughs> world, you know. It'll be like, oh, I killed this buck in this year. Oh, yeah, that was that's when the trail cams, you know, because people check the trail cams during the hunt, and if that buck hit that drinker that night, I mean, the Army comes the next day, that buck's going to die. Right. And I don't know. I was... It was just a little different. I mean, that to me, deer hunting—it's just a different deal, you know. And some, you know, obviously, there's people out there that are going to be like, you know, agree with one thing and agree with another. It's all opinions. But man, sometimes I think the animals are losing out. And you know, like Ryan Hatch told me one time, there's no mysteries on the strip yeah. anymore. There's no mysteries. Yeah, it's uh, everything's known, and I don't know. That for hunting, I think sometimes that's a little bit sad. It would be, you know, and don't get me wrong, I run trail cams. I'm not going to say I don't. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to get on a high horse or anything. We do it in other units because, you know, it's what we have to do to keep up with, you know, everyone else in a way. You know, and they only do so much in, in these big timbered units. But when you go up there and you're checking all that stuff, they're hitting that water, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a conversation that people are looking at right now and, I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm not really, you know, I guess I am kind of giving my opinion. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's all right, though. I mean, at some point we have to wonder if, if we've overcooked it and how far we've come and what we're trying to accomplish. And, there's, you know, those are all good conversations to have for sure. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, it is a neat place, and there's big deer. It's, a, yeah. it's, it's not, to, you know, it's been managed and, you know, it's you wonder, man, how does it sustain this every year? Yeah, that's you know, what I you, wonder, how it can just, it just keeps, you know, big bucks. It doesn't seem like they're declining. It, you know, that it just seems like we keep killing big, big, big bucks. Um, that's right. You, you, and you wonder if you, if you did have some control over that just chaos, if, you know, if the, if the enjoyment would be higher. And anyway, there's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast, but, uh, Right, right, Jeff. Right. I really appreciate you coming on, talking about New Mexico and Arizona, and it's always great having you. I want to give you a chance to let the listeners know how they can reach out. I know you love talking hunting, so why don't you do that now? And just thanks for coming on. So the best way to reach us, um, you know, you can call me directly at nine two eight two four five two six six eight. That's my cell number. And you can call me directly, text message me, um, or you can, you know, uh, message us on Instagram at hunthard underscore gear. And then Facebook is, is hunthard, uh, is our Facebook handle, um, on Facebook. And then, of course, our website, uh, is hunthard.com. And, of course, we sell you know, a lifestyle, a lifestyle apparel line, and you, you can go into the Outfitters and Game. Um, we don't, you know, most of our stuff, you know, comes from our social media, so that's the best way that people contact us. Um, I run all of that, so I'm a little back on some of it. I'm not, you know, a, uh, I, I wish I was a little more a geek when it came a tech to... Tech ninja? 
yeah, Tech Ninja. <laughs> I, I, I missed the boat on that, and uh, you know, but we're trying to get ahead of that, and um, so that's the way to get a hold of us. And you know, if anyone ever has any questions or comments or anything, feel free to call and talk about it, because you know, we're we're we want people to be successful whether they hunt with our outfit or not. You know, it's people wait a long time to draw these tags, and you know, if we can't help you, um, we know of qualified outfitters that can. So. And we work with a lot of different guys, and we're friends with a lot of guys up north. And, and you know, we kick hunters back and forth uh, from time to time. I have a number of New Mexico guys that that uh, I've sent to other outfitters in areas that we don't hunt and uh, and different things like that. So and, and they've done the same. So we have good relationships with many of those outfitters. So, Right on, buddy. God bless you. Take care. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks, Jay. All right, bye.